You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, this season is beginning to remind me a little bit of a season over a decade ago where we've had a number of injuries and in the course of the season added certain pieces to the mix that ended up playing a big role uh, down the line. Um, I think you guys can imagine what season I'm talking about, uh, which is a good thing. That was Green Bay Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers uh, discussing the news that Whitney Merciless has been added to the Green Bay Packers. So um, there's really no question what Aaron Rodgers has wanted and his opinion on going out and getting these types of players. He's obviously very happy with the... Let's be honest, this, this is this is a very different Green Bay Packers team. It has been since Brian Gutekunst has taken over, and it seems like he's ramped that up every year. And uh, with everything going on, fully understanding that Aaron Rodgers may be playing his last year here, which, by the way, just hit me now. A lot of people talk about how brilliant Aaron Rodgers is, right? How would this be for brilliant? Aaron Rodgers never planned on leaving, and he didn't do this so that he can get a new contract. He did it because he knew that if the Green Bay Packers thought this was going to be his last year and he made it very clear that it was, maybe they'd push all in and they can get a Super Bowl. Maybe that's part of the reason you got some of the other guys like Devontae and Zadarius also being like, nah, I don't know, maybe I don't want to be here anymore. But yet, strangely, while all the top players in Green Bay don't want to be here anymore, a lot of these other guys, Whitney Merciless being one of them, have decided to take pay cuts, to take less money to come to Green Bay and play here. Why? I thought everybody was leaving. That's weird. Maybe it's because guys like Aaron Rodgers get on the phone, they're like, listen, listen, all that stuff made that up. We're building a super team. I'm playing these guys. They think I'm leaving. I ain't going anywhere. I'm just trying to push them to get guys like you here. And so if they're calling, you come on over here. We're building something special. We're putting everything into this season. Come get you a ring, man. You just get all the vets that have been playing for a real long time. Guys like Whitney Merciless that have put in so many years, have had some really quality, high-quality years, really putting out effort for their team. Devondre Campbell, he's been around a while. Guys like Dennis Kelly... Jalen Smith traded for Corey Bajorquez. Well, he's a young guy, but whatever. But I think what we've learned is that there's really no limit. You know, you always felt like with Ted Thompson, there was a limit. He would do something, but it's going to be like, you know, bare minimum. And, you know, I I don't know if I even want to do it. I've gone through the list. I don't really want to do it again. But we've seen very rare occasions where we're very depleted. And he's like, fine, I'll go get somebody. And that person was usually awful. Because they were cheap, you know? Not that they came here and were worse. We knew what they were. But that's like, all right, you know, Ted felt like his job was to build through the draft. I'm going to assess talent, and I'm going to bring talent in. And if you can't win with the talent we have, or if there's some fluke year with a bunch of injuries, well, that sucks. But I'm not going to spend all of next year's money to fix this year's problems. Figure it out, or I guess this year sucks. Better luck next year. But with Brian Gutekunst, there's very clearly, and obviously there's downgrades because there aren't just a bunch of Zadariuses and Jairs just sitting out there waiting to be picked up. And I know there are some Packer fans who are still unhappy um, wanting to do some kind of a big blockbuster trade. But I think we owe them some credit that if there's a need, I mean, if the coaches come and say we're limited because of this, that, or the other thing, he's going to go out and say, all right, let's see what we can do. And and also, I think even more so to his credit, because again, Ted Thompson did go out and get guys. It's the, it's the fact that these guys that come here really do fill a role. I mean, obviously, there was the big free agency year where we got Billy Turner, Zadarius, Preston, and Amos. But even think about that. We didn't think that was that big of a deal at the time. Zadarius wasn't a big name. I mean, we we knew that there was some hype and whatnot, but he wasn't even really a starter. He was a rotational guy. Preston wasn't a guy anybody really thought about. He's just some kind of whatever run defender. Amos, I was real excited about, but nobody else really was because, well, because most people don't have PFF, which tells you that they're very good and, you know, which is fine. 
because PFF is garbage anyways, it doesn't even mean anything. But I mean, he, he's, I don't think anybody knew to what extent he was going to be very, very good and, and critical for this team. And even Billy Turner, as much as I've talked bad about him, where would we be without him? We'd be in a lot of trouble. And that's just that one flurry of signings. What about Alan Lazard? You know, we talk about we don't ever do anything with wide receivers. Dude, he went and just picked this guy up just out there on the street. Again, and, and that's the thing. Somehow they come in and they really produce. I mean, there, there is such a high level of understanding between our pro personnel staff and our coaching staff in terms of what we need. Finding guys that have no success anywhere else. Billy Turner was a laughing stock. People laughed at us when we picked up Billy Turner. And it's somewhat understandable, but the fact that he's been a starting right tackle for this team for the majority of the time, probably well, maybe roughly majority of the time he's been here, is incredible and would shock a lot of people, especially considering how successful this offensive line has been with him anchoring one of the most important positions along the offensive line. Again, Lazard was just some guy that got picked up to uh, by Jacksonville off the waivers and immediately got waived, like, oh, this guy's no good. Somehow, though, he just fits our culture. So he, Mercedes Lewis... The guy's a relic. He's useless. Nobody wants him anymore. He's a blocking tight end that isn't even as good at blocking anymore as he used to be. He's useless as a receiver. He just doesn't fit in the NFL anymore. The Packers picked him up. In fact, we picked up a couple tight ends. He was the one that we weren't excited about. I mean, some of us were for the blocking capabilities. Um, but again, where where would we be without Mercedes right now? I mean, we'd still be winning, but there's no question, especially after this season, that the last couple games in particular, what he brings to this team, not just in terms of offensive yardage production, but in terms of the culture of the team. How about the culture of this team that um, doesn't give up and doesn't quit and works really hard? I talk a lot about Rashawn Gary. What about Mercedes Lewis, who's 37 years old playing tight end at a fairly high level, unbelievably physically fit? How much you want to bet if you pan the camera over to Mercedes Lewis when we're down in the third quarter, he's not somewhere in a corner pouting? You think that guy isn't a major culture builder? Of course, Randall Cobb, which is primarily an Aaron Rodgers thing, but still, the willingness to do it. And, and by the way, we've been poaching quite a few Texans lately, which is funny, because we used to joke about that. Like, come on, man, get on that bandwagon, get all the Texans. Now we are. We also brought in Dennis Kelly. Again, hasn't been overly productive, but he's a guy that has familiarity with our, our head coach understands what's asked of him, and we've been going through a pretty serious situation with the offensive line, and he's being proactive and saying, let's go get a guy that we know we can plug in in a pinch. And fortunately, we really haven't had to use him, but still, we went out and did it. I mean, Devondre Campbell, I wasn't lying to you when I said that the odds of him being a productive player are very low because he's never been good in the NFL ever in his life. I saw some people on Twitter saying he was one of the best linebackers in football back when Atlanta made a run in uh, 2017, whatever year that was. No, he absolutely was not. It was not even close. His grades and statistics were near the bottom in almost every single category. The only thing he was near the top at was missed tackle percentage. He's never, ever, ever been good. Why did we go get him? Now, we can sit here and say that he just gets lucky or it's just our coaching staff makes everybody great, but we have guys on our team that are not great, so that's nonsense. They've done such a good job of, of, again, the mind meld between our pro personnel, the guys that look within the NFL to find talent and scout talent, but also you have to understand the guys that we need, and they're doing an incredible job of identifying not just a defensive tackle, the defensive tackle we need, not just a linebacker. Go get a linebacker that plays well. No, go get a linebacker that maybe doesn't play well that we can afford, but is a great fit for what Joe Barry wants. Apparently, they found exactly that, and we got him at an unbelievable discount because nobody wanted him. Why? Because he's never been good at football. Go figure. Jalen Smith, again, we'll see what happens with that, but there's another guy that we're bringing in at linebacker to help bolster a defense that doesn't even, if we didn't pick up Jalen Smith, nobody would care because we're happy with the linebacker situation. Brian Gutekunst is not happy because Joe Barry and Matt LaFleur talked to Brian Gutekunst and said, you know what, here's where we are, here's where we could be if we had this type of a linebacker. And so those guys are readily aware of the kinds of players that they still would like to to upgrade and all those kinds of things. And when they saw Jalen, they said, that's a guy that has the potential to be that guy. And they went out and got him. They didn't have to. How about our starting slot corner, Chandon Sullivan, who we picked up in 2019? He was with the Philadelphia Eagles. The Philadelphia Eagles waived him in 2019. We picked him up. He's a solid corner for us. So, I mean, again, not trying to pretend he's one of the best in football, but again, where would we be without him? 
not in a very comfortable place. He's been our starting slot guy, and I don't think there's ever been a day where it's like, dude, Chandon just blew that entire game. Chandon was the reason we lost. I've never said that sentence in my life. I remember one game, and I don't even remember the specifics, but there was one game that sticks out in my mind where it was like, yeah, Chandon kind of got beat up a little bit. That was a bad day for Chandon. But that, that's every. I've said that about Aaron Rodgers like 50 times. And of course, let's not forget Razul Douglas. We brought in a guy, we traded for a guy, Isaac Yadam. Isaac Yadam wasn't producing and we're in a lot of trouble. What are we going to do? We lost our number one corner. We lost our number two corner. We put in Yadam and he's not playing well. What on earth are we going to do to fix this situation? I know. Go get that other corner that we picked up. And he came in and he did his job. Again, Corey Bajorquez. He's been fantastic. With the exception of like one shank so far this entire season, he's been beyond clutch. He's been, you know, every punt is above average. And there's other, I mean, Kurt Bankert, he's on the Packers practice squad. He's still a Packer. He looks pretty good. Falcons just dumped him. And on and on and on and on and on. How about Dominique Daphne? Packers love that guy. They love Dominique Daphne. The Colts had him for about a week. He didn't even get, he, he didn't get picked up as an undrafted free agent until August. So in other words, that whole flurry after the draft, nobody called him. He didn't go to any teams. Indy called him August 26th. They're like, hey, man, you want to come in? He comes in September 8th. They're like, all right, sorry, dude. He didn't make final cuts. Packers picked him up October 12th. About a month later, they call him up like, come on in. By December, he was on the active roster. By January, he catches his first NFL touchdown pass by Aaron freaking Rodgers against the Chicago Bears. How's that for a fun little story? They do a very, very good job of not just finding pieces, but finding the right pieces. Now, sometimes there's just a situation where, you know, you take a flyer. I think Yadam is a flyer. He's very similar to Josh Jackson. You know that there's some talent in there somewhere, and he hasn't met his potential. Is there more potential in there, or is it just never going to happen? Jalen Smith is another one. He's always had a lot more potential, but he's never really been able to fully unleash that. Can we do it with Joe Barry at defensive coordinator and with the pieces around him, taking some of that off of his plate mentally and whatnot, maybe we can unlock that and really see one of the top premier linebackers in the NFL. Because that's what he was thought to be when he was drafted. Just like all first round, you know, or early second round, whatever. But I think he fell because of an injury. He was he was a very highly touted linebacker. He was going to go probably mid-first, I think, if he wasn't injured. He fell to early second, I think is how that all played out. So I don't just say all that as sort of a rah-rah and a, you know, pump up Brian Gutekunst type of thing, or even a uh, proof that they're going all in. I, I say that for a more specific reason. I've said on this podcast many times, Whitney Merciless is just washed up and he's no good anymore. And that's true. At least that had been true, um, given his circumstances. I sort of teased on uh, Twitter that there's potentially an argument that you could make that a change of scenery could be good for him. Um, it's kind of just a, a line that you could throw out there to make anybody look like they might be a star. It's kind of mostly nonsense, unless you can kind of back it up with something. But it's 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 possible. Again, Devondre Campbell. Now, somebody mentioned in the comment to what I had said that, yeah, it's going to be him switching from a 4-3 to a 3-4, which is more his strength. Um, it's true, they did switch to a 4-3 this year, which is an interesting little tidbit. There's one big issue that I have with that general line of argumentation. Um, he didn't just get worse this year. In fact, he, his worst year ever, and by a lot, was last year in 2020, he had a 39 overall grade. He actually went up or has gone up quite a bit to a 61.1, which is where he was in 2019 and 2018. So I'm not really seeing much of a difference in terms of his alignment. Um, I mean, in terms of how that's affecting him. He, he So he went from a stand-up outside linebacker to a hand-in-the-ground defensive end. And it seems like he's still kind of doing what he was doing. Now, his pressure rate had gone down quite a bit but the grades are right about where they were. It's actually higher now than it's been the last two years of his career. So while yes, I think that that's somewhat true to some extent, all we're really doing is saying that um, he's going to be better than he was in 2020. He's going to go back to what he was prior to 20, or 2021, but he's going to be better than he was prior to 2021. Problem is he wasn't good prior to 2021, so that doesn't really get us anywhere. I do think it's better for him, kind of gets him in that mold. Plus, 
I think even more interesting is the fact that he didn't really decline with being a hand-in-the-dirt guy because the Packers do a lot of that. Having your hand in the dirt along the defensive line when we're in a 4-3 alignment, uh, being able to rove around, having that kind of experience, I think that's a good thing. But also allowing him to do what he's done almost his entire career, which is being a stand-up outside linebacker. It's primarily what he's going to be asked to do. Here, however, is the part that kind of stood out to me. Um, if we look at his statistics, and this is kind of what I've been operating under, uh, again, 2020, so his prime year started in 2015. There was a weird little flurry. So he was average 2012, 13, and 14. Then there's a weird flurry in 2015, 16, and 17 when he was very, very good, 84, 81, 75. And then he goes back to being 60s again, 62, 63, the weird little 39 in there, and then 61 again. So it's it's like he's been almost exactly 60 with a couple weird little glitches. But if you look at his stats last year, and again, this is as him as a stand-up 3-4 uh, outside linebacker with J.J. Watt on the team, he had 20 pressures on 331 attempts. That's 6%. That's trash. He did get five sacks because one thing I've noticed about him, his sack percentages are really high. To give you an idea of how high... He has only five pressures on 110 attempts this year. That's 4.5% and is unbelievably terrible. However, he has two sacks out of those five pressures. He's the anti-Rashawn Gary. So he has one-fifth the amount of pressures that Rashawn Gary has in the exact same number of sacks. (laughs) Anyways, aside from the obvious that this is just a better overall football team, that the morale is going to be quite a bit higher. I forgot to play that, darn it. We'll have to try to mix that into all this. Try to remember to save morale for last. Aside from the fact that this is just a competent organization with a competent offense, a competent defense, a competent head coach, a competent GM, a competent defensive coordinator, seemingly, some really high-level players at, at uh, across the board. It's a franchise that is up near the top. At a, the point is you come in here and you don't really hang your head. You come in here and you play at a high level because you're a legitimate Super Bowl contender and you give it everything you've got. Aside from all that, I was kind of curious about something um, and I wanted to look at it. I I already said that his his numbers are not very good, right? If we look at his win percentage, again, not every pressure is not, you know, how can I say this? I guess not every pressure, not every win turns into a pressure. There we go. Not every pressure turns into a sack. I was just trying to do it in reverse for some weird reason. Sometimes you win, but you don't pressure the quarterback. Sometimes you pressure the quarterback and you don't get a sack, right? We can keep working this thing back and back and back and back. So he has two sacks on the season. Two times he hit the quarterback while he had the ball in his hand. Five times he pressured him, which is a sack or some other version of getting in the quarterback's face prior to him throwing it. And then there's just beating the guy in front of you. Now, he doesn't have good numbers, but it's certainly better than 4.5%. Looking at, I, I just pulled up the Packers and Texans edge rushers. Whitney Merciless is seventh out of 11. The only Packers he's doing better than are Chauncey Rivers, who's 10th, and Preston Smith, who's dead last on this list. He's at 11.7%. Now, this number is always going to be a little bit higher than than just general pressure percentage, because again, pressures are different than winning. Sometimes you win and you don't get to the quarterback. For reference, Rashawn Gary's win percentage is 22%. Zadarius, before he got hurt, 25%. But 11.7% win percentage isn't necessarily all that great to begin with. But there's another thing that PFF recently added. They have another column of win percentage, but it's called true pass sets. And what this is, and I've talked about it briefly in the past, is they remove some of the nonsense. And there's different kinds of nonsense. There's offensive nonsense and defensive nonsense. Offensively, there are times when, for example, you're running a screen. And on a screen, the odds of you getting a pressure are almost zero. And so that, you know, a a designed rollout is basically designed to make sure there is absolutely no chance anyone along that defensive line is going to pressure me, at least not right away. Eventually, they could possibly get there. But at that point, you you run it or you throw it away or whatever. So offensively, there are certain situations where if you take context into account, you would say, yeah, he didn't get a pressure but we shouldn't even count that because that's nonsense. But there's also defensive nonsense, and that can go in both directions. There are certain times when you are um, asked to do things unfairly, and so it's not really a one-to-one comparison with other players. For example, if you rush three, 
the odds of you getting home rushing three are very, very low. Because there are five offensive linemen, which means you're, the, the odds of you being double teamed are very high. And so saying that you didn't get a pressure on that and, and, and pretending that that is the same thing as Rashawn Gary, who got a pressure in a one-to-one matchup, that's not fair and it's not the same. But there's also another kind of nonsense. None of this is actually nonsense. It's a word I just decided to use. And that's things like rushing five, which gives you somewhat of an unfair advantage as opposed to disadvantage. So the point is, all they're doing is let's look at a very clean picture of how they're doing in just one-on-one matchups. So again, he is um, seventh out of 11 on this list. He jumps to fifth out of 11 on this list when you look at true pass sets. And everybody else kind of stays the same. The only thing that really changes, because there's a general correlation between how much higher it's going to be, is Whitney, who jumps up the most. He's at 22%. When he has a one-to-one matchup, he's winning 22% of the time. And so what I was actually interested in looking at isn't necessarily either one of these numbers independently, and we can look at kind of what that means in a second, but the most important thing I was looking at is actually the change from one to the other. Who has the biggest jump or even decrease? Because there are a couple people like Ndamukong and Sue who actually go down in true pass sets, meaning most of their pressures come from scheming them to get pressures. And if you take away scheme, you know, usually it's going to go up because most of the nonsense is to your disadvantage. But if the scheme is real good and you're bringing extra blitzers and that's when you get home, you're going to go down. But who goes up the most when you don't have negative factors in your way? And so we've got a positive change for all of these guys. And so I I did all the Packers plus Whitney Merciless. Ladarius Hamilton goes up 3.4%. Jonathan Garvin goes up 4.5%. Rashawn Gary goes up 5.6%. Chauncey Rivers goes up 6%. Preston Smith goes up 7%. Zadarius Smith goes up 8.3%. And Whitney Merciless goes up 10.3%. What I'm saying to you is, if we remove the barriers from Whitney Merciless, he goes from being a kind of really bad football player to being a pretty decent football player. If we back out for just a second, and, and again, this, this isn't an exact science, but I want to try to put some context to this to, to maybe just throw together some fake little expectations. And so again, if we look at all the edge rushers that have played, you know, at least, uh, what would that be, 45 snaps or so, pass rush snaps, Uh, If we just look at pressures, Whitney Merciless is tied for 91st with only five. Obviously, that's very, very low. 91 out of 110, actually, it's more than that, 110, 11, 112 players. That's not good, but, but that's looking at production. If we look at win percentage, which is just, again, just whooping the guy in front of you, he moves up to 70th, which, again, not super great, but it's an improvement. Then if we look at true pass set win percentage, in other words, one versus one, no double teams, no schemy nonsense, just me and you, mono e mono. He's 37th. Rashawn Gary is the only Packer that's higher than him who's ranked 16th in, in that percentage. To put this in different context, if we look at other people kind of in this range, and I'm just going to highlight a few people here. Let's go from 21 to 23% and just look at some of the actual production numbers because what I'm trying to do now is transpose these numbers and say, let's say... We get a more accurate reflection of how he truly plays now that he's in a better scheme and a better environment. What should we expect those numbers to look like a little bit more? And my highlighting has been an absolute disaster because PFF is a format this so weird. But if we look at this, everybody in this category is so much better than he is. The only exception to that is a guy who's played very few snaps, Jeremiah Atachu. He also has five pressures. He has no sacks. But just looking through some of these numbers... On the low end, on the low end, it's 12 pressures, three sacks. Guys like Alkin Muhammad, uh, Justin Houston has 12 pressures, three sacks. Takaris McKinley, 13 pressures, two sacks. Joe Tryon, 12 pressures, two sacks. And Bryce Huff has 13 pressures, four sacks. That's basically the low end for anybody in this general category and how they're producing, again, outside of Atachu. Then there's some other guys. Um... Chase Young. Chase Young is is in the same category. He has 20 pressures. Harold Landry has 35 pressures and seven sacks. Jadavian Clowney has 25 pressures and four sacks. Chris Jones, 15 pressures, two sacks. Josh Sweat, 
16 pressures, two sacks, and Yannick Ngakwe, 24 pressures, two sacks. But let's just take the 12. The general point here is there would be a doubling of his production. What I'm what I'm generally seeing is inefficiency in bringing out his true ability. Now, at 31 years old, I don't expect him to be the next great thing. Again, he's below Rashawn Gary. He's below Zedarius, but he's above Preston. And at the very least, I would say he's right around, if not slightly above Jonathan Garvin. And I'm not mad about Jonathan Garvin. In fact, he had a great game last week and kind of bailed us out of some pretty tough situations. Here's the other thing, and I saw this comment from Mr. Mike Kawano on Twitter. I thought it was very profound as well. He said, this one should translate more like Razul than Jalen has so far. Merciless is a pro's pro who can eat snaps and help lighten the load on the rest of the unit. I didn't think of that, but that's exactly what I've been saying this whole time as far as one of the negatives of losing all the guys that we're losing is the fact that we can't keep these guys fresh. Look how far Preston has fallen from his high highs of being one of the best edge rushers in football, then we lose a Darius, we lose Rivers, and we basically got three guys and he's got to be out there a lot. It's obviously negatively affecting him. Rather than putting him out there when he's most optimal in his most optimal situations, fully healthy or, or you know, rested, he's just got to sit out there and grind in every situation. And apparently he's just not cut out for that. But you bring in a guy like this, and let's just say he's Garvin. So what? So now we have Whitney Merciless, who is a guy that you know, I mean, it's a, it's a different system, but on some level, like he said, it, it's he's a pro's pro, incredibly intelligent. He's been in a similar system. He can lighten the load. If just for a little bit, he and Garvin can be out there, Rashawn and Preston can go chill and catch their breath for a little bit. So anyways, like anybody else, I don't want to get you over the moon excited and then he doesn't produce very highly and you get mad at me. Understand what I'm telling you. He's 31 years old. He has not played at a high level aside from like two years in his entire eight, nine, ten year career, however long he's been around. What I do think, though, is there's, there is actual statistical reasons to look at this and say, I think he's coming to a better system. And although he did have J.J. Watt for a while, which is obviously helpful, I do think that there's a more well-rounded defense here, not just one elite pass rusher that's hurt half the year. And you don't have to be out there quite as much because you're not like the only guy we have left. You're a backup. And, and just like with Jalen And just like with some of these other guys, and like we'd like to get back to with Preston, we can use you situationally. We we understand who you are and what you do best, and that's when we want you to go out there. And again, like I said before, we have every reason to trust that they didn't just go out and get a guy. They're they're obviously not dazzled by his ability because he hasn't been great so far. This isn't about, well, we just need an edge rusher and he's there so we can go get... There's other edge rushers. Now, maybe there's a pile of really bad edge rushers, and this is the, you know best of the worst, it's possible. But we have every reason to trust that they don't not only understand what we need positionally, but what we need more specifically than that. And that he fills that role, that he's going to be that guy, you know, when we have Garvin out there, he's the great guy on the other side, or whatever the plan is. The point is, again, our coaching staff has been communicating with Brian Gutekunst and the rest of the personnel staff and have said, here is where we're struggling. Here is where we could really use some help. And of course, there's a million different areas. You know, if we could upgrade this, that'd be great. If we could do this, if we could do that. But it's all things for them to keep an eye on. And when Whitney Merciless became available, that set off some alarm bells. And they started making calls, and they started having conversations, and they started saying, is this the guy? Is this what they've been asking for? And the answer to that question was yes. So, um, you know, is this a replacement for Zadarius? No. Is this very potentially a solid backup similar to Garvin that has high-end potential because he's come from a terrible system and his stats actually look good when you remove a lot of the nonsense and see what he does man-to-man, one-on-one? Yeah, there's potential. And hopefully the Packers can unlock that because, again, the high-end is, is, you know, through this point of the season, 25-ish pressure, which is what Rashawn has, by the way. So I I, I guess I would say his high-end is Rashawn but with more sacks. His low-end is he's, you know basically Preston but can't do anything against the run, which is to say he doesn't offer very much of anything other than being a fill-in and taking some snaps, which, by the way, still has value. As long as you're not getting completely annihilated and just in a a complete embarrassment, you're kind of halfway doing your job so that Preston and Rashawn can catch their breath and then come back in a little bit more fresh, it's still valuable. But anyways, um, oh, yeah, eh, do I want to do this now? Kind of running low on time here. 
I guess I will. I, I, this was a, a very cool pickup by um, uh, Mr. Anthony on Twitter, Anferny, which is A-N-F-E-R-R-R-N-E-Y. Figure I'll you know, shout him out a little bit. Since there's a billion Anthonys, I mean, who you know, you never know. But uh, he, he tweeted me and he said, interesting how you talked about it when Rodgers had poor demeanor, the whole team fed off it. I saw this on TikTok of Joyke Bell talking about golf yesterday. So it ties in kind of nice. I wasn't planning on using it in this context. I was kind of just going to use it in the way that he tweeted me, which is to say, remember what I talked about yesterday? Here's some context. So we're going to halfway do that. But also remember, we're talking about the mentality of football players and how being around other guys that care and work hard and and with a better locker room and guys that fight and grind and 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 put their bodies on the line for each other for a for a bigger goal how much that impacts you as an individual and as a football player this is joyke bell talking about jared goff that's not detroit football no that's not a detroit quarterback Stafford would have stayed in there took the hit got the pass off got the first off and we would have would have had a fighting chance when you have a quarterback doing, doing those type of things, it gives the defense no confidence. No confidence at all. So moving forward, I'm not going to play as hard. When you go look at a team like Tampa Bay, where their defense is playing beyond their means because they feel they have a quarterback that's always going to have them in a the position to win a game. No edge. No edge whatsoever. Playing like everything is going to be given to him. Like, I'm used to, like, Stafford played with that edge. Yes. He was in the city. He had that Detroit mentality. He had that killer instinct. I know Stafford's gone, but we planned him this week. What? There's no way he's missing that pa- He's not missing that pass. You don't let a quarterback come in here and outplay you. That's one thing that I was very, very stern on. When a running back came in, I wanted to compete against that running back. Like, I wanted to compete. Now, you're not going to come in here and outperform you me. Know what? So, again, just providing some context to what I've been saying and what we've all been seeing, which is there's obviously some weird correlation between what you see, especially with your leaders, right? I mean, it's one thing to see a running back kind of, you know, not give his all, but when the leader of your team is not willing, I, I don't know the full context, but I have a feeling this has to do with a guy pulling the ball down because he doesn't want to take a hit, as opposed to just standing in, delivering the ball, knowing you're going to take a hit. And even something like that, where, where from my perspective, it's like, you, you probably should do that, but I completely understand. Other football players look like, dude, if you're not going to die for me, I'm not going to die for you. What are we doing here? You know, you got a running back. My job every single play is to get smashed. Every single play, every time, and I'm begging for the ball. I'm begging you to give me that ball so that somebody can, somebody really, really big can smash me in the side of the head every single down. You're not going to, you're not going to complete a pass because you don't want to get hit once. You're not even going to try to win. Like what, what does this mean to you? And and the, and the whole demeanor going in, on top of that, being you know a, a winless team with this quarterback you're all excited about that now apparently doesn't want to risk anything. Again, I don't know the context. I'm just playing off what he's saying. But but again, what does that kind of stuff matter? Think about what's going on in Houston. They've been a laughing stock for several years now. Add into that, not only did we lose Deshaun Watson, but look at the media circus around Deshaun Watson. Everything about that team is a laughing stock. Everybody's trying to force their way out of there. Nobody wants to be there. Fans, the media, everybody's laughing at them. They're laughing at your coach. They're laughing at your quarterback. They're laughing at your record. They're laughing at your ability. They're laughing at your defense. And and hilariously, Whitney Merciless is looking at Green Bay and saying, not only do I get to play with Aaron Rodgers, not only do I get to play in Green Bay with a team that has a winning record, I get to play with a defense that looks kind of good. Now, there are better defenses, but I can come in and be a productive player for a team that's on its way, potentially, to the Super Bowl with one of the best quarterbacks in football, with a team that has a proven track record and knows what they're doing. And I want that. And this isn't like Detroit or, or, or Houston, where, you know, the coach gives you a rah-rah speech about this week when you're about to play, you know, the Arizona Cardinals coming up, which, by the way, what Whitney Merciless was about to head into, an absolute wood chipper. And he's trying to tell you how you're going to beat Arizona, and here's how we're going to do this, and here's where we're... you know you're going to lose. You know you're going to lose. And so, yeah, we can look at his stats, and I'm sure he does as good of a job as he can of getting himself psyched up, but it's hard to produce in those kind of garbage environments. Doesn't mean he comes here and he's Superman. And if it wasn't for those stats that I found, I probably wouldn't even be mentioning other th- anything other than that one tweet that said, you know what, he's going to come in, he's going to take some snaps and let our boys rest. And that's fine. Again, I'm happy with that. But because there's that discrepancy, I'm saying, you know what? That change of scenery thing, we'll see what happens. 
But anyways, uh, we are going to take a quick break. Again, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can do that on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. I saw, um, actually, we're going to play the clip right after the break, but there's there's some other guys who have a ton of patrons. I'm actually jealous of the amount of pay. They have like 600 patrons and their minimum tier is $7. <laughs> Makes me realize I'm not as, as popular as I thought. People like me. No, they don't. <laughs> you got like 260 patrons, you loser. But anyways, they actually have their own URL, so I might actually try to do that because that'd be kind of cool. Rather than having to do the forward slash blah, 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 just be like, packdaddy.com. Might make up the difference to actually afford the uh, the domain name. But anyways, why don't we take a break, and we'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, well, why don't we, uh, before we get into too much here, get into that sweet, sweet injury report. Um, first of all, most importantly... Mr. David Bakhtiari was allowed to practice today. It was just a walkthrough, so it doesn't tell us a ton. Um, I, I don't I don't think he's going to play, but really the only reason I'm saying that is because it just feels like there's that's how. I mean, I know how because it's been a very long time since his injury, and he's, he's better now. But it just I, too good to be true, I guess. I don't know. Um, but guys that didn't practice, Dennis Kelly, Josh Myers with a knee injury this time. It was a uh, finger before. But obviously, he went out with a knee injury, hoping that it's not uh, season-ending is the last thing that I had heard about it, which I did not take as a super big positive, but whatever. Um, Darnell Savage still out with a concussion. That obviously is not great. Don't know the status on him. Preston Smith did not practice with an oblique injury. I did see a tweet here uh, from Mr. Tom Silverstein. says, LaFleur says the Packers are hopeful that outside linebacker Preston Smith will be able to play this week, but not a guarantee. As he often says, they'll give him all uh, all week to get ready to play. Now, a lot of people speculated that maybe that's all this Whitney Merciless thing is. Maybe it is. I don't know. Um, it's very similar to when we had injuries at corner. We went out and got like three guys. 
how much of that is we're doomed, they're not going to play, so we need somebody, and how much of it is this guy can actually play. Obviously, to some degree, it has... I mean, listen, if if we had Preston and um, Chauncey Rivers and Zadarius, we wouldn't be getting Whitney Merciless, very unlikely. But we did lose two, and we may lose a third. So again, it's I don't think Preston has to be out for them to say we should go get Whitney Merciless. They still could use him. So it, it's it's maybe twofold. It's on one hand, whether Preston plays or not, we can definitely use this guy. Secondly, on the off chance Preston doesn't play, we need this guy. So there's that. Uh, also limited was Kevin King with a shoulder injury, and Equinemius was uh, on the report, but full participation. I don't exactly know what that means. I guess just letting us know he's hurt, but practiced? I don't know. As for Washington, they got a pretty big list. Uh, Jonathan Allen, longtime stud defensive tackle, uh, was limited with a knee injury, along with Diami Brown, the wide receiver, and William Jackson, the cornerback. Guys that did not practice, wide receiver Cam Sims, tight end Ricky Seals-Jones, guard Brandon Scherf, one of the top guards that's made a massive amount of money because they refused to commit to him and keep keep franchising him. Curtis, oh, maybe they, they might have come to an agreement. Doesn't matter, not relevant. It's a Packers podcast. Curtis Samuel, the wide receiver, good football player, did not practice with a groin injury. Terry McLaurin, very good wide receiver, did not practice with a hamstring injury. Charles Leno, the old Bears tackle, that was actually quite good. They got replaced by Jason Peters. Um, he is uh, not practicing, but it's just veteran rest. Antonio Gibson, the running back, did not practice with a shin injury. And Sam Cosme, their rookie offensive tackle, I'm assuming. He was a tackle in college. Uh, did not practice with an ankle injury. That's a lot of guys. And those are names that, for the most part, I know all these guys because they're they're big pieces to their football team. But anyways, I wanted to do something a little bit fun here, and I know I, I can't stop picking on the Bears. It's just, it just is what it is, man. Somebody had highlighted to me that there was this podcast I played once, or it, it was a it's a YouTube channel, and I referenced it prior to whatever. Anyways, these guys do a very good job. They got a very professional. I, I've taken so many notes just from what the the graphics that they have, the intro that they have. This guy's studio looks sweet. The patrons, the fact that they have a link to their Patreon. There's so many things that they they do way better than me, and I gotta I gotta up my my game, at least my YouTube game a little bit. But somebody had mentioned that I had played a clip from them, basically flipping out, breaking down about how trash this franchise is, and they were like, "Dude, you should go find them and see what they had to say about this Packers game." Well, I did. I figured out who they were. Um, if you're interested, again, they do a very, very good job. And they, and they're, listen, these are the kinds of Bears fans you want to deal with. I mean, everybody that I did my, my, those podcast interviews with three of them, all three of them, very, very cool guys, all very realistic. This is sort of what you get on AM radio where they're very excited and then the Bears suck and they just kind of go on a tirade about how I'm tired of this team being so bad. And here's the list of guys that should be fired and all that kind of stuff. So it's, um, it's not these guys that I get mad at. It's the guys on Twitter that refuse to acknowledge there's any problems. And it's the fact that we get to listen to, on one hand, Bears fans breaking down, which is always just makes you feel good, but secondarily highlighting everything that I've been saying about the Bears, including especially Eddie Jackson, who is number four, by the way. You'll need to know that. They reference number four. That's Eddie Jackson, the guy that I said last year is not the same guy, and Bears fans lost their absolute minds. And, and, and I don't know how long it took for Bears fans to figure this out. It happened starting in 2019, 2019, 2020, and 2021. I said it in 2019, everybody freaked out. I said it again in 2020, people really freaked out. Now I think every, all the Bears fans are starting to be quiet about it, but these guys... Are, are they're, they not only recognize it, they've acknowledged it, which you'll again hear in the clip. I don't, I, at some point, I'm not even going to play it because I've said the whole thing. Not only acknowledge it, but acknowledge that it happened ever since he got paid and are not only frustrated, but are done with him. Not just like he's really, really good, but he just hasn't quite had it this year. No, I'm done with him. It, it just, it made me feel so good. I wanted to share it with you. And again, um, I don't even think I said it. It's called the Tape Never Lies Network. It's, um, it's good stuff, man. Again, they do a good job. And if you just want to listen to Bears fans, just tell it like it is from a Bears fan perspective, though, rather than smiling, they're frowning, but they pretty much say the same things we say. You should go check it out. They, they do a good job, which I've said 5,000 times. Here's the clip. Times. I yeah. think it was three times. And that I see. And the third thing that I wanted to say is, I think our team sucks in tackling. <laughs> I mean, they coach. are awful. 
Yeah. I remember when the Bears used to pound you with those defensive backs. They come up and slam you. These guys are hand tackling every one of them. Yeah. And number four should be playing JV somewhere totally because agree. he hasn't made a play this year. No Not one play that I ever see him make. No, but he's he continues to run his mouth on he's on the field, old. and it's he's yeah, old. it's 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 hard to stomach, Coach, because you know Eddie Jackson was one of those guys that you want, you know, the the Bears planned on building this defense with, you know, a ball hawking safety, and he got paid, and he laid down flat. And it's it's been a continued pattern since he signed his extension. And it's just, I mean, he's he my 10-year-old son who has cancer would put out more effort in tackling than than Eddie Jackson does. You know, it's I just, I just had to stop it there. That is, by the way, I didn't I didn't warn you about that line. I meant to warn you, and it was as happening live, I kind of laughed at the fact that that was gonna smack you in the face without any warning. Uh, that, that is, I don't know what that is. That is one of the most awkward, but also just one of the nastiest burns I've ever heard in my life. It makes you really uncomfortable, but it's also like, dude, Eddie, that's pretty bad, man. <laughs> that's, I mean, I, yeah, I hope he's doing okay. I, you know, I don't know. He said it. I didn't say it. I wouldn't say it cause that's horrible. So I, you know, I, I don't know what to make of that line, but that is a, that is a wicked line. Needless to say, they aren't big fans of Eddie Jackson. <laughs> Oof. I, I actually forgot that it was in there, and then I heard it a second time, and it was like a punch in the stomach all over again. Did I mention this is a pretty good little show here? <laughs> huh? Um, hmm. Oh, right, duh. One final thing I wanted to talk about. I know today was supposed to be uh, the Washington, uh, whatchamacallit day. But lots of stuff happened. We'll just have to cram again a little bit. But we've got time. Friday, Saturday, Sunday to talk about it. I did do the Patreon poll that I mentioned I would do yesterday. Just wanted to kind of look at it. The poll question that I asked in Patreon was, how many losses against the teams listed below is an acceptable number for a good team? Cardinals, Chiefs, Rams, Ravens. So four teams, all very good teams. Uh, I don't think any of, well, the Chiefs have, I think, multiple losses, but all good, scary teams, right? And we're, there are teams that we're playing soon. And so, again, the biggest reason I wanted to do this is, is to have a buffer for myself and for everybody else to say, listen, because, again, losses are coming. It's not to have the mentality that because we lost, now we're terrible, or this is horrible, or I hate this team, or anything like that. Any of that nonsense. Losses mm-hmm. happen. They're going to happen. Going to happen for the Cardinals, too, I'm telling you. And I guess I shouldn't necessarily promise that. It's possible that they go undefeated in our first ever 17-game season, but it's not super likely. It'd be pretty wild, though, wouldn't it? But there is a point at which you get disappointed and say, I really wish we could have come out of that a little bit better. So the results are pretty much exactly as I expected. Nobody said four, which makes sense. If you lose all four of these games, you got to be a little bit worried. Out of the 48 respondents, one person did say um, zero, which is to say you should beat all of them. I think that's a little unfair, but... I think they're just getting out ahead of what I'm trying to do here and being like, you can't say that to me because I said zero. So if we lose any, I can be mad and you can't say anything. Fair enough. I don't think that that's the correct answer, though. But I mean, it's a it's a question for you personally, so you can come up with whatever answer you want. I just I wouldn't have that answer. Um, Three people said one. In other words, you should be able to beat three out of the four. Seven people said three losses. And then the biggest response Pretty obviously, and as soon as I posted, I'm like, there is kind of an obvious answer here, but it was 37. And I guess really all we're all we're saying, or the the way that I was thinking of it, I guess I should say, in terms of how I kind of came to my conclusion or my way of thinking about this, is how do you stack up? If you're worse than all of them, then you would expect to have um, three or four losses, right? I mean, maybe you get lucky on one, but if if you're worse, if you're the Lions, if you're the Houston, if you're you're probably going 0-4 against top-tier teams. If you're better than all of them, then you should get three or four wins. Because again, there's always that little fluke buffer game that you can give yourself if you want. But I mean, if you're better, you should beat them because you're better. So really, it's just a what is the relationship. And if if what we're really saying is, and again, all I'm asking is good team. And we know that these four are good teams. Essentially, what I'm not talking about the Packers. I'm just saying any good team... Like, let's just say there was five of us. There's the fictitious team that I made up, the Madison Pack Daddies. 
that are playing the Cardinals, Chiefs, Rams, and Ravens. And all I told you is they're about as good as these four teams here. What do you think their record is going to be when they're done with it? You'd probably say two and two, right? So really all we're saying is what is, what is their relationship? If they're a little bit better than the field, they'll be roughly better than two and two, three and one or four and oh. If they're worse, then they'd be less than two and two. And if they're about on the same tier as them, they should be about two and two. So think about it from that perspective. It kind of gives a, a slightly different feel to it because if we go two and two in here, you feel like, well, that kind of stinks, right? Because we're the Packers and we should be better than a two and two team. That's a 500 team. That's trash. But what we're saying is we belong in this group. If we win two and lose two, then we're about as good as these guys are. Well, maybe not as good as the two you lost to. Well, maybe, maybe not. I mean, it's it's not always... I mean, again, if we could just line them up and say this team's better than this team because we know because of the roster, then we wouldn't actually have to have them play. The reason they play is because sometimes stuff happens and teams win that you wouldn't expect. In fact, that happens almost 50% of the time. It's hard to figure out who's going to win, even knowing who the better teams are. So again, I'm just trying to sort of mentally prepare and, and, and set expectations. Um, and you can set whatever expectations you want, but and obviously, it's going to be scary if the first time we play a tough team, the Cardinals, we lose. And especially, of course, it matters how you lose. If you lose, you know, 38 to 3, you don't, you feel real bad about that. If you lose, you know, 28, 27 in a nail biter, you know, they kick a last second field goal or, or whatever, you know, it was close. And you probably don't feel as bad about it. But um, again, just wanted to kind of get some perspective for me and also for myself. And yes, I plan on using this against you when we lose one game saying, listen, you said it was fine. I don't want to hear it. Aside from the one guy that said zero, I can't, you know, he gets a pass. Everybody else, I have your names and emails and I don't want to hear any crying about a loss. (laughs) Anyways, I think I'm going to wrap it up about there. Thank you to everybody on Patreon that supports me. Thank you uh, to everybody that participated in the polls and everything else to help provide some content for the folks. Um, I will plan on doing a Washington Day tomorrow pending any major news, and so I'll probably be uh, looking for any Washington-specific questions. So be on the lookout for that. Again, if you want to get involved, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. You can do it. Everything is just a buck a month. Um, I'm working on trying to think of some cool stuff that we can do for people at higher tiers. Like, for example, my my fantasy football stuff was all kind of higher tiered. I just don't have anything quite yet. But as of right now, pretty much everything is open to anybody that supports me because... All I'm asking for is support, and, and what level you can support me at is, is up to you and your financial situation. Anyways, you folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye. <laughs>